This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is probably supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Drivers who switch and save with Progressive save over $700 on average. And those savings add up. Imagine what you could buy in the future. So I used the savings from switching to Progressive 30 years ago to buy tickets to the championship game. You know, between those two teams that didn't exist 30 years ago? Yeah, I'm a big Alaska Palm Trees fan. Which is a team now, in the future? So switch to Progressive and save big, because those savings can add up in the future. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National annual average insurance savings by new customer surveyed who saved with Progressive in 2020. Potential savings will vary. Welcome to Cottage Talk. I am Russ Goldman, and this is our View of the Opposition show. As I talk to someone who covers Fulham's opposition for the upcoming match, in this episode, I'll be talking to Richard Burns, who is a Manchester City supporter and also is a member of the Blue Moon podcast. He is on to give the Manchester City perspective for this upcoming match. I look forward to talking to Richard, but before I do anything, I have to welcome him to this podcast. Richard, how are you doing? Hello. Hello. I'm good. Thank you. How are you? I am great. Listen, thank you so much for doing this. I just contacted you today, so thank you so much for joining me on such short notice. Absolutely. My pleasure. Okay. Well, let's get into this because we want to learn more about Manchester City. Obviously, many fans have watched them play, but it's also great to get a a firsthand perspective from a supporter. So that's why we have you on, my friend. So let's just get your overall view of Manchester City so far this season. We could talk about any match that stands out to you, and uh, we'll just start there. Yeah, well, I think so far it's been a little bit of a mixed bag. So the the, the first point is that with four games played, we've got 10 points out of 12, which, um, although I'm already trying not to draw too many comparisons to last season because I absolutely um, I don't expect City to, uh, certainly in terms of numbers, points, goals, all that kind of stuff, I don't expect City to hit the same heights as last season again. Uh, but I suppose it is worth noting that this is the same number of points as we had at this stage last year. Um, and we've got more goals than we had at this stage last year. Um, performance-wise so far, it, it, I definitely say it's something of a mixed bag. So the opening game at Arsenal, I thought, was a, a very assured performance. And it, it was quite interesting that I walked out of the Emirates that game thinking 
that we'd not been at our best, that we deserved the three points, but that, that City hadn't been at the best, that they'd gifted a couple of chances to Arsenal. And yet I get back in the car after the match and the radio were praising what a fantastic performance it was and how it was going to be impossible for anybody to get near City again. Um, so it, it's interesting, I suppose, how last season has perhaps shifted my my expectation, even without with me trying to guard against that. Um, but they were good that game. Then came the Huddersfield game in which I thought City were absolutely outstanding. It was uh, the, the, it was a 6-1 win, but it was tactically very, very different to anything they produced last season. Uh, it, it looked like a very odd team selection by Guardiola before the game because it was a, uh, a starting eleven that was largely devoid of um, I suppose I would call dynamic pace. I'm not sure if that's that's quite the right phrase, but it, it wasn't pace in the sense of using fast players. But it was it was a fast team because of how quickly they could move the ball around. It was it was a team of very uh, of players who had a very intricate control of the ball, very quick to fire off the passing, and and that might might sound like an odd distinction to make to last season because we famously were a quick passing team last season but it was almost like they doubled down on that in the Huddersfield game we didn't play a right back we we chose on paper a completely unbalanced team by having no right back but Benjamin Mendy on the left and yet it worked perfectly it was more thinking outside of the box by Guardiola to say well Huddersfield just aren't going to attack us down that side so why do we need a right back and he unbalanced the team but it, it just worked perfectly and okay. In truth, it should have been an even bigger win. Then came the Wolves game, which I would say was full credit to Wolves. They, I think a draw was a fair result. Um, we were unlucky that Wolves' goal was a handball, but equally I couldn't really complain that they'd gone ahead. I thought they were, they were worthy of that. It was a bad call, by the way. It was, yeah. But it, it was a bit of an odd one because I remember one of my, um, one of my fellow panellists on the Blue Moon podcast sort of said, it was a bad call, but I wasn't really annoyed by it in the way that you sometimes are by bad calls because I can see why the referee didn't spot it. Like the, if you, when you look back at that, there was no the city players weren't really appealing for it. There was no sort of remonstrations on the pitch. And I mean, I was at the other end of the stadium in the away end and had absolutely no idea until, again until after the game that there'd even been uh, been a complaint about it. To be honest, so um, it was disappointing, but. Equally, I, I wasn't furious about it. And then, yeah, in, in the game, City had the chances. Uh, they hit the woodwork three times. One of them was an outstanding save by Rui Patricia. Um, so it was just a, a fair result. And again, felt it could have been better, but wasn't wasn't disappointed. And then the Newcastle game, uh, just before the international break, was City were far from the best. But again, I'm inclined to say, although it was a bit turgid, that was because Newcastle did a good job because what Benitez has been very, very good at there and I think what they built their survival on last season was they didn't, they'd never once got hammered by anybody, not really. Um, they, they obviously are capable of turning in some underwhelming performances because they're not a fantastic team but he's, Benitez is very, very good at, at stopping them taking real beatings, those things that can really dent a team's confidence in a in a fight to stay up in your first year up. He insulated them very well against that. And I think the games that we've already seen this season against City, Spurs and Chelsea is doing the same again. So in that context, I'm quite comfortable that City did okay. And they got the three points and they scored two brilliant goals. But were it, 
yeah, were it not for Kyle Walker suddenly finding out he could hit a ball from 25 yards, um, we'd probably only taken a point from that game. But um, he can hit a ball from 25 yards, so you know you you, you take it, you take your wins how you get them. Um, but we have to hope now after the international break with a, a couple of our rivals for the title looking already in very good nick um, we have to hope that things are really going to start to click into place on the performance front as well so uh, no real disappointment but it does feel a little bit like we're really waiting for it to fire into gear now well it's a different season different challenge and uh, you're adjusting and you actually have an injury that we're going to talk about in just a second and, and other players injured as well that I think are affecting you but let's get back to this because uh, I'm trying to put what's going to be upcoming against Fulham here. And, and I look Fulham as being closer, much closer to Wolves than Newcastle because I can't see Fulham doing what Newcastle did mm. at the Etihad. I can see them trying to do a little bit of what Wolves because we are similar and different in some ways, but we're similar that we want to control the ball. So I want to know from your point of view, you already said you you know you, you thought it was a fair result, but what were your thoughts about how Wolves attacked you? Because I'm trying to understand how Fulham might approach this. Um, I think Wolves were very, very good. At, I thought they pressed well. They were very, very good at not letting City settle on the ball at any point. So what was disappointing about City on the day was it was the sloppiest I can remember them in a while in possession. There was a lot of times where, uh, in particular, I think of Vincent Company and Fernandinho, who are usually very assured on the ball. Fernandinho in particular, you know, he's not known for giving the ball away. He got himself a book in early on because, uh, if I remember rightly, he'd given the ball away and then committed a foul as a result of that. Um, And we just looked a little bit harassed throughout the game. And that, I think, is because Wolves largely got in City's faces. And the difference that they had between what, obviously, Fulham will have at the weekend was Wolves had the home crowd behind them. Right. That's a big difference. Yeah. I I do think that there is, as much as I like to try and be a bit of a purist and believe that it, you know, it's all done on the pitch. um, I do think there's a a lot in those kind of stadiums like Craven Cottage as well, where it's quite tightly packed and it feels like the fans are almost on top of the pitch. Uh, When they get an atmosphere going that it, it doesn't necessarily dent the away team but it gives it gives the home team that extra yard that in the in the running or that that extra shot of adrenaline uh, when they're flagging or when they're up against sure. it uh, and and so Wolves had that which uh, Fulham obviously can't can't just create at the Etihad uh, but I think it, if they can try and get in City's faces um, then they, then they can cause problems I think it is a hard one because as you've already said, Fulham like to have possession and they're, they're very, very good in their use of the ball. They play very nice football. It's hard for me to see a way in which Fulham are going to come to the Etihad and have more of the ball than City. It just It's almost one of those accepted sure. things that regardless of whatever else happens, City are going to end the game having had almost overwhelmingly... Oh, I totally agree with that. Yeah. I just think that they're, yeah. that they're going to try, but that doesn't mean that you are going to be able to. I think they're going to do their best part and it's funny because when they played uh, Tottenham Hotspur they did not have the possession like they normally have but when they had it I thought they were affected they had this uh, time of I want to say about 20 to 25 minutes when they started dominating the play when they have the possession 
And uh, my hope is that they would have some time on the ball. I don't know if it's going to happen, though. It's, again, different teams. Like you said, playing at the Etihad compared to playing at Wembley are, are still two very different situations. So that's what's fascinating about this. I want to see how Fulham reacts playing at the Etihad with a team that is going to dominate the ball probably the entire game. So that, to me, is the challenge. But I'm glad that you brought up Wolves being at home because that's a factor as well. But I just wanted to get a sense for from you what they did, and uh, that makes sense because they are out behind them so they could actually have a little bit more in them to uh, to press. And, uh, you know, again, that, that definitely helps them. Fulham will not have that against Manchester City. All right, let's move on. Let's talk about Kevin De Bruyne. And, uh, Richard, I'm just going to mention this to you. You might laugh at me, but I had this running argument on this other podcast comparing Mo Salah and uh, Kevin De Bruyne last season. I said I would rather have Kevin De Bruyne. I thought he was more valuable than Salah, and I got laughed at what he does for Manchester City, I think it's extremely valuable. I know you have Salah and what he does with all the goals, but I prefer, this is my preference, Kevin De Bruyne. So with that said, he's out injured. So I'm curious, your thoughts on his injury and has he been missed at all? Because you have so much talent. So I'm curious how that they've adjusted without him. Yeah, I mean, to, to your first point, um, I'm the way Kevin De Bruyne plays football is... Maybe with the exception of David Silva, um, it is it's the best way I've seen a City player play football. If that makes sense, his his yep. approach to the game, his style of play, is absolutely um, it's magnificent. It's wonderful to watch. He's he's, he's a very very rare combination of. Um, the intelligence to to see the game in a very particular way uh, to. Almost to, to understand the full dynamics of a football pitch. He's a complete player. That's where I was yeah. going. He is. In reference is. to, say, Salah, I think he's more of a complete player. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, and and that, doesn't, uh, that doesn't denigrate Salah in any way. No. I think that the thing with them is they have both found the right place for them. Um, and De Bruyne makes this City team tick. And right, City exactly. Team. That was, that's been my point. Go ahead, yeah. Trevor. Yeah, um, and the City team last season was one of the best teams that the country's ever seen. So that is, it's an incredibly valuable uh, thing to be able to do to be the best player in an outstanding team is is high praise indeed. Um, we do miss him because, I mean, I'm sure I might I might be wrong in being uncharitable to to your listeners here, but I, I imagine there aren't going to be many Fulham fans who are going to take much sympathy with us here um, when we're here. Kevin De Bruyne is injured. But okay, sure. we've got David Silva, Bernardo Silva, Ilke exactly. Gundogan. We've we've clearly got an embarrassment of riches. And yes, you do. Yeah, I, I think we almost have to be aware of that when we talk about our injuries. We have got uh, we are right. extremely fortunate with our squad depth. But that said, there is not a single sporting team on the planet from which you can remove the best player and not make them weaker. It's the nature of having the best player. Okay. Um, so we are, we, we are a little bit weaker for not having him. Fortunately, we have a manager who's uh, very capable of uh, finding tactical innovations and, and working around that. So I think at the moment, what we've been able to do is play, uh, is play Gundogan, who is, a long way from being Kevin De Bruyne's quality, but he is still very, very good. And he can do, to a lesser extent, a lot of the things that De Bruyne can do. He can sit deep, he can carry the ball forward, he can, he, he's got, I think, a, a reasonable judgment of when to release the ball. Um, 
he just doesn't have the same range as De Bruyne or, or quite the same vision, which is, again, that doesn't denigrate Gundogan. It's more mm-hmm. for De Bruyne. Um, in terms of what we can do a little higher up the pitch, obviously David Silva, I mean, to watch him in the Huddersfield game, he, he seems to have found a new level, which I didn't think was possible. Uh, he, he was absolutely exceptional in that. And if you have a player like that at his best, then it, it massively reduces the, the loss of, uh, of De Bruyne, massively. Because, again, he can sort of do everything that De Bruyne can do, just in a slightly different way of doing it. But I think Silva's almost underrated for how good he is from deep. Obviously, everybody's attracted to what he does higher up the pitch. But he can get back and he can put in a tackle. He's harder than he looks. So there's a, there's a lot that he can fill in for as well. And then after that, you... You know, Bernardo Silva, Raheem Sterling, Leroy Sané, who is a different conversation at the moment, to be fair. But right. they are they are all players who, each of them, as a sort of constituent part of the team, can do something that De Bruyne does. It's just that you, we don't maybe have anyone else who does everything that De Bruyne does. So there's, there's, there's always going to be a tactical, uh, a tactical way of making up for that loss. Fernandinho right. as well, I mean... That guy's one of the best midfielders in the league and goes wildly underrated sometimes, I think. But he can do a little bit of everything. His, his, his vision is sort of the all-round midfielder. Um, so we are good enough to cope without him. We, we just ideally wouldn't do. Um, if yeah, uh, if that gets at what you, you're asking. Yeah. I feel like I've not fully answered the question there, maybe. But I think... It's a bit of a weird thing that we'll probably find out more as the season goes on when Pep tries different tactics against different teams. Maybe when Leroy Sané comes back in, because when Sané comes back in, he's going to have to play differently to how he normally plays because of the way that we're using Mendy. But because of Mendy's injury last season, he can't play. You know, He's going to struggle to do the three games in a week. So we're going to see him rotated. But the games where they play together... I think are the games where De Bruyne would be particularly useful at knitting a match together because it's really going to change the way Sané plays because he's going to have to play more central. It's going to have a knock-on impact on how Silva plays, which would probably knock De Bruyne back a lot deeper. Um, and I think that is where we will really notice his absence. Um, but obviously that's still something yet to come. Okay, very good. Let's talk about other injuries that you're dealing with. I'm curious uh, if you have any update on Raheem Sterling. I've been reading this morning and was not clear if, if uh, he will be playing on Saturday. I've seen some that said yes and some still see him as a, as a serious doubt. So I'm curious your thoughts on Sterling's availability and any other injuries that you have ahead of the match. Yeah, on, on Sterling, um, I'll be honest, it's the same thing here. There's, uh, there's no clear answer or, or obvious way to call it. Uh, I would, I'm would. i always suspicious of injuries around the international break anyway. Are they... Are they um, it's not to suggest that the injury is made up, but is it... If that were a City game and he had that injury, would he still be available to play? Is this just a case of managing him through this period? I'm not, I'm not too sure. I would hope he's available because he started the season brilliantly and would be hugely beneficial to uh, to have on the pitch. Um, but, yeah, honest answer is I, I don't know which way to call it at this point. Other so injuries, the ones at the moment are, uh, I know that Danilo is still um, is still pushing to make it back from injury. Um, we're not... 
That is sort of loosely badged at the moment as nearing a return. So he might be available for the squad. In terms of how that affects the game, he's not our first choice. He's far from it because Kyle Walker is a much better right back in every single sense. Uh, but I suppose I suppose the way that affects you is that, you know, if Danilo is not available, Walker is absolutely 100% playing. Whereas if Danilo is available, maybe Walker gets rested for the midweek Champions League game coming up. Um, so I suppose it's more on the periphery. And then that's pretty much it, really, that I think could affect the game. Obviously, Bravo is out for the season. Wouldn't expect that to have any impact because he's not anywhere near the first the, the starting eleven above Edison. Uh, so I think Sterling is, without doubt, the main one because we know De Bruyne is out. So. Sure. Okay. And uh, listen, we, I was going to ask you key players. Like everyone that's listening knows uh, all the names of the players, and you just named the player that I think is the key player for you. And that's David Silva because he controls everything. And I know we're talking about De Bruyne, but right behind him is Silva. So uh, you can certainly share your thoughts on him a little bit more or anyone else that you think is key to play well against Fulham for obviously you to get all three points, you should be favored. But who else should Fulham supporters be looking for in regards to Manchester City against Fulham? Well, first of all, on David Silva, I mean – that guy to me is, uh, and, and I say this with full awareness of not having uh, watched live the City team, the, the great City team of the 60s, um, but yeah. David Silva to me is the best player that Manchester City have ever had. Um, wow, it, that's it, high praise. Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, sort of a, a generation, a couple of generations above me will we'll talk about Colin Bell, and but I think there's a, even an acceptance amongst uh, amongst those supporters now that Silva has probably surpassed him. Um, I think of the, this might sound like a contradiction, of the modern era, Yaya Torre is probably the most important player because he became, with his goals that he scored at, at key times, became an emblem. And so his name is synonymous with our recent success. But David Silva is, to me, the the best footballer I have ever, I've ever seen in a City shirt. It's a, it's a pleasure to go and watch him and... He, this is this is going to sound really twee and really pretentious, but one of the things that Guardiola talks about quite a lot is almost more important to him than trophies is the the style of play that that he strives for is about the feeling that it gives people. It's about the feeling that he gets from seeing a team play the way that he wants them to. And to me, David Silver is the player that that most embodies that. And when he plays like he did against Huddersfield in the second game this season. I feel differently about football watching that than I do watching any other City player. It's just an absolute joy. It makes me fall in love with the game anew every single time he walks onto the pitch. He plays with a a grace and a poise that is so, so rare. Um, And I think he's... um, I, I honestly think I could make an argument for saying he's sort of... I think you can make an argument that he's one of the, that he's the best Premier League player of all time. And I don't mean that saying I think he absolutely is that, but he belongs in that conversation. It just doesn't maybe attract it in the, in the same way some of the other greats do. But his name belongs really? up there. Um, wow. and it may, Keep going. Yeah, I, I do accept with that, obviously, I have a very particular bias because he's a City player. But um, I, I, think, I think I'm being relatively objective. Just watching him week in, week out is... Yeah. He's an incredible footballer, um, and it makes me sad to think that he's he's only got sort of finite time left, maybe one or two seasons. But anyway, um, he he will be something for for Fulham to worry about if he's on the pitch. 
Um, and just not to turn this into sort of the David Silver podcast, but just sure. on on Silver as well. I think what he went through last season with his, for anybody who maybe wasn't aware, um, his, he missed a lot of games because his son was born extremely prematurely in Spain, had to stay in Valencia. Silver was sort of back and forth, sometimes arriving like the day before a game, not getting to train with the team, walking onto the pitch, running the show and getting straight back on a plane to Valencia to go and look after his son, who it's not an exaggeration to say was, you know, life life and death scenario. Um, fortunately, he survived, he's healthy. He was at our first home game this season, um, which perhaps explains why Silva was so magnificent, because he, he certainly had a spring in his step in that game. So my, aside from just how much I love watching him play football, my respect for that guy went through the roof last season. Um because he managed some very difficult personal circumstances uh, and, and still played football exceptionally well. Um, on other threats to Fulham, yep. I think in a weird way, uh, I would not at all be surprised, although he's just had a baby himself, if Leroy Sané were to start this game, because he's not started yet. He wasn't even in the squad for the Newcastle game, which attracted a lot of attention. It's widely accepted that... Uh, and, and Pep has pretty much said it himself, to be fair. But it's widely accepted that City aren't happy with Sané's attitude at the start of the season, which is a bit surprising because you would think that he would be motivated by his Absolutely. admission. Yeah, he admitted from the Germany squad for the World Cup. If anything, he probably came away as Germany's most valuable player from that World Cup because the point that everybody made after the disaster that they had was well, you should have taken Leroy Sané. And if anything, he was the Germany player whose reputation was enhanced by the very nature of not being part of that squad. And you'd think he'd have a point to prove. And instead, I don't know if it's a case of he's sulking or his head's just not quite there, but it's clear that City aren't impressed with him at the moment. But I wouldn't be surprised if after the kick up the backside that the omission from the squad against, uh, against Newcastle was, if Pep's reaction to that was... Now go and prove me wrong. Now go and show me what you can do. And uh, I would not be at all surprised to see him start against you guys on Saturday. And then what happens... Oh, I'm expecting it. (laughs) Yeah. What what happens from there, we'll see. Um, And then the other one to watch out for, I I suppose... Well, two. If John Stones and Emirate Laporte start together which the, the defence is really hard to call at the moment, is, is alternate, alternating it game by game. The only certainty at the moment is that uh, Otamendi is the last choice defender and Laporte and Stones are the future. But you can still throw company into that mix, right. um, which could mean it's a back three, it's a back two with company and one of the other two. Is, there's so many options that I won't even bother trying to predict it. Uh, but if those two start together, they've had a great start to the season. John Stones had a magnificent start last season, tailed off in the, in the latter half after his injury, but then went and looked uh, almost an, an immeasurably more mature player at the World Cup. He was fantastic for England next to Harry Maguire. Bringing that form into this season next to Laporte, who is obviously a very similar player, but still he's going to take time to learn the Premier League. Giving Stones the responsibility of being the lead defender next to him, I think could be brilliant for him. So how much and I don't say this disrespectfully, but just the nature of how our games tend to go at the moment, how much sort of defending they'll have to do uh, in the conventional sense, I don't know. Um, but what they can do on the ball and proactively, and that, that's not to suggest that I don't think Fulham can hurt us, because I absolutely do think that Fulham can hurt City. Um, but they may be 
very, very key on the ball and watching Laporte as a as a left footed centre back spreading yep. the ball sixty or seventy yards onto a right winger's foot onto a right winger's boot is a, that is quite a sight, I've got to say. Okay, excellent. And I certainly want to talk about your defence. When we talk about the phone points, I want your thoughts on how you think they're going to handle Mitrovic. Because Mitrovic is playing very well right now, scoring goals left and right. So when when I ask you about the phone players, I'm sure we'll be talking a little bit about Alexander Mitrovic because I'm curious your thoughts on him and and how you will handle him. But it's fair to say that that uh, the opportunities might be uh, not that many, but he's really been playing well. All right, let's move on. And uh, listen, I, I could list all kinds of strengths for your team. I'm actually looking at whoscored.com. It's a list of, of strengths for, for Manchester City, so we don't have to go through all of them. But I want to get your thoughts on what they list as weaknesses. I was uh, actually a little bit surprised that they had any. They have two. So I want to get your thoughts on this. This is from whoscore.com. They list weaknesses for Manchester City, aerial duels, and stopping opponents from creating chances. Now, this is interesting because I think Fulham will create chances, and I think that Mitrovic can be a handful in the air sometimes, especially if he tries to just get the ball to him. So what are your thoughts about these two Potential weaknesses, according to whoscored.com, for Manchester City. Do you agree or disagree? I think they're fair. I think the the nature of having a team that likes to keep the ball on the ground is, um, I know that doesn't by default mean that they're going to be weak in the air, but it right. it gives a chance to, if you can fire balls into the box in the air, then it does give a chance to Russell City's, uh, Russell? To ruffle City's feathers, rather. Um and yeah, I, I think I don't think Stones and Laporte are bad in the air at all. And I suppose when I think of aerial duels where and and how Fulham might play with uh, getting the ball to Mitrovic, I suppose they're the two who are going to have to be best in in those particular battles. Um, it, it's not such a weakness that it overly concerns me, but I do think it's if I was an opposition supporter thinking about how my team might get a result, I'd be I think I'd be inclined to think, well, I hope we get the ball in the box and and yeah. out aerially. I think I would see it that way. But looking at it as a city fan, I'm not and again, I'm always over wary of sounding arrogant about these things these days. I'm not unduly concerned by it. I'm not I'm not more co- concerned by that than I am about um about Seri being able to put a ball through the middle or right. You know what I mean? I, I think there's. I, I understand that. Yeah, there's, there's there's different ways to try and hurt us, and Fulham have got, from what I've seen, Fulham have got plenty in the locker to try and unpick our defence. It's it's being on the ball in the positions and and dealing with City's press that's going to be the issue, which leads me to the the chance creation. Um, I do think it's we can struggle to stop teams creating chances, but it's very much dependent on how the team plays. The teams that have the most joy against us in in that regard, I think, are the teams that, rather than working out how to play against City's intense pressing style, it's teams who bypass that completely. Um, So, for example, Liverpool. I mean, Klopp has the best record of any manager against Guardiola across Germany and the, the times in England against each other. And it is largely because his style just naturally evades a pressing game. It is so quick at getting the ball out from defence that 
Um, I remember a Liverpool su supporting friend of mine getting uh, a little bit touchy last season because around the Champions League quarterfinals, Fernandinho referred to Liverpool as playing a long ball game. And obviously you say that and teams think of like Sam Allardyce. <laughs> You're right. Um, yeah, that isn't what it means. They do play a long ball game. They they are very good at punting the ball. No, not again, punting. That's the wrong the wrong word to use. Sure. But getting the ball from their own 18-yard box to be on the halfway line in only one or two touches. It's a long ball game. It's just a lot better to watch than the traditional English sort of plodding long ball. If Fulham can utilise that in any way, or any team can utilise that in any way, getting the ball out quickly from defence, because we naturally have a lot of players up front and we play a very high defensive line then that is a way to to get behind City very very quickly um, a fast attacking players combined with a, a playmaker who can thread a ball through a defence or over the top of the defence that is a potent threat and can definitely definitely hurt us um, I don't know how you rate um, Fulham's chances of being able to do that or how you see that threat but certainly from what I've seen Seri uh, combined with like a, a Schurler and Mitrovic yep. who offer different threats. There's definitely a route there for Fulham to hurt. There is. There is. And you basically were just talking about the route. Like you said, it starts with Sarri, but it also involves Schurler. I'm glad you talked about him. I will also mention a player that, again, I think is going to play because he's, play, he's played the last two has been uh, uh, Vieto. Vieto has actually been been pretty good. He's been starting over Session which is interesting. So if it's not Vieto, I would imagine it's going to be Sessegnon. So, but it all begins with Surrey. I'm glad that, that we're talking about what Fulham do because uh, you've already talked about him being able to uh, really control and start the play. That's where it begins. It begins with him being able to get that pass, and uh, he can do that. So I understand why you went right for Surrey because I've been asked several times, who's the most important player? And everyone thinks I'm going to say Mitrovic. I mm. go right to Surrey, Richard, because mm. for Fulham, not – just against, say, Manchester City, but for the rest of the season, it's going to be about him because he's going to be able to create the opportunities for everyone else. He's already doing it in yeah. such a short period of time. And Fulham, that's what gives me hope for the rest of the season because when you have someone like that, you know you're going to create the opportunities. Then it's about scoring the goals. And right now we have someone that's scoring the goals, and I can say Andre Sherwood is scoring the goals as well. So our problem right now, Fulham's problem, is not scoring the goals. It's in the defense. And, of course, we're playing one of the best teams that can attack. So that's what's, what's a little scary about this. Our problem right now, I'm being honest, is Fabrizio uh, Kanovic settling on a back four and on a goalkeeper because that's changed once already to back to uh, Bettinelli. So that is the unsettling part of what's going on. But what's the positive part of Fulham, even heading into this match, is that I know they can create opportunities. So. That's what excites me about playing against Man City, the best, the champions. I want to see how they fare against the best. That, to me, that's why I wanted to get your thoughts about players. You've already talked about Surrey. But let's go back. Let's talk about Mitrovic. I asked you that I told you I was going to mention him before. So how will City handle him? Like you said, maybe he doesn't get a lot of opportunities. But he's been pretty good at taking advantage of his opportunities lately. So how do you think they're going to handle him? Who do you think will handle him? I think I was reading in the Manchester Evening, Evening News, they thought that potentially company would come back to handle Mitrovic. What do you think about that? Yeah, as as you're asking the question, I was thinking back to what I was saying before about Stones and Laporte and, and starting together. And as you were asking the question, it suddenly dawned on me that, yeah, actually the player probably 
most naturally equipped to deal with the threat that Mitrovic offers. It probably is Vincent Company um, because he, not that he's completely infallible, but he won't be in any way intimidated by what Mitrovic can do. Um, and I mean, feel free to tell me if I'm being unfair to Mitrovic here because uh, I've, I've not seen as much of him recently as I would like to, but he's clearly a very physical presence, I would say. Um, and he's a, he's a strong guy. Um, I worry that when I say things like that, that that defaults to taking away from any other skills that he has. I don't think he's just strong and and powerful, Um, but they are, they are going to be key threats that I think he offers. Company is very equipped to deal with that. Um, I think the the key really is going to be cutting off the supply to him. Um, And at at the risk of, going over ground already covered, that means pressing very. And we do. We, we do. I mean, City's style is naturally to, to press, to, to group sure. around the ball very, very quickly. Um, but it does mean pressing Seri when he's on the ball and, and limiting time on it as, as much as possible. Um, and I suppose that's, I suppose that's the, the best answer I can give because if, if Mitrovic's game is going to be mostly waiting to get the ball in the box, which I suspect it might be. But again, if, that, if I'm being unfair to him, do tell me. Um, but if it's going to be trying to take those snap chances in the box when they fall, well, the way to deal with that is you stop the chances. And the way that City deal with that is press the creative players. Okay, excellent. Very good. Thank you for sharing all that, Richard. All right, let's uh, go right to predictions. And like I mentioned to you off air, I, I do this uh, a little bit differently. I want your thoughts on how Manchester City can win, of course, how Fulham can win, and then your predictions. So let's start from you, from your perspective. What do Man City need to do to win this match? Um, well, in light of, sort of what I said about the Huddersfield game with that slightly different style of play that was still fast and, and sort of attacking, um, we've got a couple of, of ways of doing it now. Uh, I suspect that because Fulham will be more inclined to attack than Huddersfield were and have more weapons uh, in their armoury. I suspect it will be a more uh, a team more in line or a style more in line with how we played last season where we will have, um, if Sterling's fit, I would expect him to play. Um, like I said before, I, I would not be at all surprised to see Sané play. It gives us a couple of options of players who can pass the ball, but they can drive into the heart of the Fulham team, uh, which if you attack that, naturally leads me to think that that could leave more space for us. It doesn't mean that we will definitely exploit it. It doesn't mean that Fulham can't handle that, but it should leave a little bit more space. And those players are absolutely lethal uh, in in those situations. Um, but then we can just as well call on Bernardo Silva, who I think is an exceptional footballer. Mares, who hasn't hit the ground running yet, but I would be very Embarrassment happy. of riches, my friend. You can just go on and on. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they, they each of them offer that pace and the technical yeah. ability to, to take a man on. Um, they've all got, in Silver and Marriage particularly, there's a great first touch, so you don't have to worry about spreading the ball to them and, um, and worry about whether they're going to control it or not. They can do that. It, it keeps the game flowing extremely well, even playing a slightly longer game than we normally would. Um, so I think our way to hurt Fulham in this one is that more sort of dynamic pace and to rely on that heavy sort of chance creation of getting the ball by opening up the space and getting the ball into the box rather than the um, slightly more laboured 
performance and and taking a chance from outside the box that beat Newcastle or the really short, sharp passing that we played against Huddersfield. Okay, very good. All right. I'm not going to put you in the shoes of Slavisa Jokanovic. It's a huge task. What does he need to do to set his team up to potentially win at the Etihad? We know how difficult this is going to be, but you're in his shoes. What would you do? Well, first of all, it's the realisation and acceptance that this is one game. And like you said, they already dealt with it against Tottenham. But this is one game in particular where he's going to have to accept that Fulham are almost certainly not going to control the ball. And as that's his preferred style, I suppose it gives him a decision of do you take the high-risk strategy of prepare to control the ball um, and then have a plan B for when that goes wrong? Or do you accept it from the... Oh, sorry, if that goes wrong. Right. I say. Um, or do you start on the understanding that actually City as the home team are almost certainly going to have the majority of possession, except that the way to deal with that is to try and get in the faces and be a bit aggressive. But if City are absolutely on top form, they can pop the ball about quick enough that it almost negates that anyway. Um, I think, personally, I think the best approach is not, goodness, not not just to sit back and defend, but to accept that you're going to have to sit a little bit deep because you need to negate those chances in the box. It's, that's the key. City love the ball in the box. Guardiola, for all his philosophy on, on passing the ball and getting the ball out quickly, his whole reason for doing that and his whole mantra is you have more chance of scoring a goal and less chance of conceding a goal if the ball is in your opponent's box. And it sounds that's so right. simple. Um, but that is what he re- it's what he relies on. It's what everything, sure. that positional play is all built around that very, very simple idea. And coming to the Etihad, you have to try and negate that space in the box. But okay. then it's linking it's linking the midfield to the attack so quickly that when you do get the ball, you can push out. And I think the quickest way to do that is not strictly a long ball game, but having a focal point that you can fire the ball to and then break quickly. If you want the three points, you need to be able to combine all of those things. If you are happy with one point, then I suppose the attacking side becomes a little bit less important and it just becomes about negating the space. If I was if I was um if I was managing this Fulham team, I would I think I would have ambitions of uh not going all out attack but trying to link that attacking play and, and, and seeing what we can do for the three points. He's going to try going for the three points. I, I can't I imagine he's going to play yeah. for the draw. So let's just start there. Uh, you know, and, and I understand why teams would want to play for the draw to get anything out of it. This is uh, this guy's DNA. He wants to win. And uh, I'm sure he's up for this challenge. It's going to be fascinating because he's a confident guy, but this is uh, an incredible task. So we're going to see. That's why I'm so fascinated by this. I want to see how full measure up. This to me is really just a, a test of measurement to see how they can deal with uh, such uh, a tremendous team. So, all right, my friend, let's go right to your prediction. Then I'll share mine in the show. Okay. um, I have to back a City win. Um, Just the nature of the game as champions against a newly promoted team. Um, It would betray a huge lack of confidence if I didn't predict a win. Um, I'm not, necessarily expecting this to be an absolute romp um, because I've, I've got a lot of respect for our full and play and I know it could cause City problems. So I'm going to be 
confident but relatively conservative and go a 3-1 City win. Okay. I'm going with the same scroll line. I'm going to say 3-1 to one to Manchester City as well. And uh, like I said, listen, if Fulham could get anything from this, it would be an incredible return. It would be an incredible result. If they won it, I, I can, again, it's just unbelievable to think that they could win this. But for me, it's about just seeing how they play against Manchester City. And I'm excited and scared at the same time, Richard, to be honest with you, <laughs> because I don't know what's going to happen. It's it's uh, going to, to the movie Forrest Gump. It's like a box of chocolates. I, I have no idea what I'm going to get. I have no idea. All I know is that the approach from Slavisa Jokanovic is uh, attack, attack, attack. And that excites and scares me at the same time, Isn't uh, that- especially against Manchester City. So. But isn't that just the beauty of it? It's why we all watch, isn't it? Because you, yeah. you never know. You never know. You never know. That's why. That's why I'm fascinated by this because it, it could be, it could be a drubbing. It, it could be five nil. We lost five nil, I think, in 2014, or it could be a, a match like this, say three to one, two to one. And if they lost and played well, I could accept that. I, I just want to see how they're going to handle Manchester City and. Uh, I know I talked about Kevin De Bruyne being out, but you already went through all the other players that we could talk about. So they just, again, they just put someone else in and they just go forward. And it, you know, not that it doesn't matter. Like you said, he's uh, your best player, but you have so many other tools. And you mentioned the player to me that I think, and I'll use the word that I was going to say to you, David Silva to me is a heartbeat of Manchester City. Would that be a good word to use? Yeah, yeah, absolutely spot on. I think that... um... I think it's the perfect word to use, actually. Okay. Well, I just came up with that, so thank you. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) All right, Richard. Listen, thank you so much for joining me. I I really enjoyed talking to you. Before we go, tell everyone where they can follow you on Twitter and also about the podcast as well, because definitely want them to listen to the podcast. Uh, Yeah, sure. Thank you. Um, So I am on Twitter at my personal account, which is at Richard the Burns. It is mainly used for the odd tweet about City and a very regular tweet um, in some way denigrating Manchester United um, (laughs) because I'm I'm very, very immature. (laughs) Um, But yeah, um, I I try to keep it friendly, of course. Uh, But yeah, that's at Richard the Burns. Um, But I'm also on the Blue Moon podcast, which is a dedicated Manchester City podcast released every Friday. We have a rotating panel, so you don't have to put up with me every week. Um, And they're on Twitter, at Blue Moon Podcast. All right, fantastic. Again, Richard, thank you so much for joining me. Let's wrap this up for my guest, Richard Burns, I'm Russ Goldman. Thank you, as always, for listening to Cottage Talk. It's the 90th minute, and all to play for at the end of the match. All your mates are around. You've got your McDougat share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping, and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? I know I'm in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. 
Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport, powered by fans.